Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. So open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Mark chapter 10. And just kind of put your, oh, there it is. Gospel of Mark chapter 10. Just kind of put your finger in there because we're going to be we're going to be there in a couple of other passages as well. I want to take you on a journey today in, uh, in writing. So on the seat, you should have a pen. You mo- you're probably sitting on it, so just kind of dig back there. It's probably in the crack there, in the, the seat crack. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean. <laughs> My bad. <It's, laughs> I can't recover from that. So you have a pen. Hold up your pen. Let me make sure you have it. Okay. Here's what you're in the front row. Let me hold your Okay. Here's what your pen is for. I'm asking you today to begin the next chapter of your story. Okay? I want you to start a new chapter. And so every great story has, has twists and turns, and it's got chapters, and it's got, it's got surprises. And you have a story. The good news is the story that God has written. But you are a part of that story. And here's the thing. You can either write your story accidentally, which means you just kind of go through life and whatever happens, happens. But that's kind of a boring story. That's not really that great of a story. Or you can be intentional about your story. And you get to choose what you write down. Now, I say that some things we don't choose, but we choose how we respond and we choose how we work through and we choose how we, how we uh, have a perspective, even in the stuff that is sprung on us, right? So I want to give you a couple of writing tips today. Starting in Mark chapter 10, uh, the first writing tip is this, write a great chapter. So that you have a great story. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35. Well, let me just kind of summarize up to verse 41, just for the sake of time. Because we have uh, Mission Casas cooking today, and they've got carne asada kebabs. And I've tasted them, and they are good. Um, Okay, so here's what's happening. James and John, they're known as the sons of Zebedee, but they're also known as the sons of thunder. I got to tell you, that is a wrestling, WWF wrestling duo if I've ever heard of one. Could you imagine, sons of thunder? I mean, that'd just be cool, right? Remember the Bushwhackers? It'd be better than that. So James and John, the sons of thunder, they come to Jesus. Now, Mark doesn't talk about this part, but the other gospels record that it was their mother that had the idea. So mom, (laughs) that's right, say amen, mom. So mom sends the boys to Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, come here just a second. Hey, um. We're just wanting to know, you know, like, like in your kingdom, when you, when you build this thing and, you know, when it's fully, fully played out, could, could one of us sit on your right and the other one on your left? See, those were positions of authority. It's like you have the king and then you have his two highest generals, right? So they ask him this. They just flat out ask him. And Jesus said, you don't have any idea what you're asking. Can you drink of the cup that I'm going to drink? They're like, yeah, we can do that. And they go, well, you indeed will drink of the cup, but it's not mine to determine who's on the left and right. 
And the next verse says that the disciples heard this and they were indignant. They were angry. They were so upset. And I don't think it was so much because they asked the question. I think it was because they didn't get to Jesus first. I think that was the problem. They were like, who do these guys think they are? Man, I should have gone yesterday. I knew I should have gone yesterday. Jesus heard all that was going on. And in verse 42, Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So, tip number one, write a great story. Write a great chapter. I think that in the church, globally, we have taken this verse and we have assumed a few things. We have assumed that Jesus was saying it is wrong to, be, it is wrong to want to be great and be a servant instead. But that's not what Jesus was saying. Do you, do you see what he says here? If anyone wants to be great, whoever wants to become great among you. Jesus was saying, it's okay to be great. And after all, great simply means excellent. Great means that you've given it 100%. Great means that you've done all that you could possibly do. Great means that you've pulled everything out of you that God has put in you. We've, we've, We've come to this idea that somehow we're supposed to be subpar. I mean, does anybody really want an average basketball player on their team? Right? Does anybody really want an average preacher? Does anybody, a lot of get them, right? Does anybody want an average doctor? I mean, does anybody go to the hospital and go, you know, I've got to have this heart surgery. I don't really want a great surgeon. I just want kind of an okay guy. I want a guy who got a D in medical school because you know, D stands for diploma. So I'm, I'm good with that. Is anybody, no, you're going to go to, this, you're going to, go to the internet and you're going to do evaluations and you're going to go, who is the best of the best of the best? Why do we accept greatness and, and excellence in every other sphere of life, but when it comes to the church, we're supposed to say, oh, I don't want to be great, I just want to be a servant. I just want to, I just want to be average, I just want to be okay. No, no, it's not an either or. These are not juxtaposed against each other. It is a both and. The point is this, and this is point number two. Choose to be great, write a great chapter, live a great story through doing what greatness does, and that is being a servant. See, the problem with greatness is the object of why we want greatness. If we want greatness for our own self, if we want greatness so that our name is in lights and so that people remember us and people speak highly of us for our sake... That is not of God. But if we want greatness so that we can make sure that all that God has placed in us comes out of us for his own glory and for his own purposes, that is holy ambition. Turn to the right just a little bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me, let me kind of just make sure you see this in a different light. Because I re- would you agree that we, we have come to believe that greatness is not allowed? Would you all agree with that? That it, you, you can't be great, you got to just be a servant? Jesus said being a servant is how you find greatness. 
All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in verse 24. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. Now, they would have fully understood this context because they would have had the, the, the games, the Olympics, and, and they would have all kinds of sporting events. And Paul says, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Therefore, run in such a way to win the prize. That is pursuing greatness. I don't know anybody who says, you know, I want to run the race just to run. I'm just consent, content going across. Okay, maybe I would do that if I were going to jog. But, but any serious athlete, nobody, you know, as Ricky Bobby said, if you ain't first, you're last. Right? I mean, the truth is, in a race, you want to win. Now, what were they competing for? They were competing for a crown made of leaves. Like, like they're, they're beating their body, they're training themselves, they're doing all of this work, they're in front of the crowd and they're doing it so that they can stand on a podium and have a, a crown of leaves put on their head. And the whole idea was the honor. It was the idea of, I'm the best of every man here. Folks, listen, I want to charge you because I believe the Bible is charging us and because I believe it honors God for you to pursue greatness. But do it not for your greatness, but do it for His greatness. You reflect the name of Jesus. I do not want my children to say, you know, I just want to be ordinary. I want them to say, I'm going to go as long and as hard and as far as I can possibly go. That not only blesses them and blesses others, but that honors me and their mom, right? As parents, that's what we want. Why would God want anything less? So the first tip I'm going to give you for writing your story is to pursue greatness. The second tip is to pursue greatness the Jesus way, which is, he said, I didn't come to serve, but I came to, or I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. Greatness is truly found in humility. It truly is. The greatest person that ever lived was Jesus. He did not seek titles. He did not seek an audience. He didn't seek power. He didn't seek authority because he had those already. They were already his. He didn't have to prove himself to anyone or anything. He chose to serve, and his humility is what drew people to him and to the kingdom. Can I give you a truth that is all throughout Scripture? When you live a life of genuine humility, you are so attractive to people. So attractive to people. Because people trust you. And people want to hear from you. And people want to be with you because you are a life giver, not a life taker. Turn to the person next to you and say, are you a life giver or are you a life taker? I'm actually, believe it or not, I've actually sketched out my, my, my first book ever, right? I'm at that 50-year mark. And so I, I, it's time to start writing a book, right? My, my first book, here's the title, When You Walk Into the Room. I shouldn't say this out loud because I'll steal it and write it. Oh, who am I kidding? Actually, if you want to write it and just, that's, that'd be great. 
It's called when you walk into the room, and here's the whole, perp, who, who, the whole point. And I, and I actually heard this from, um, gosh, uh, Mark Batterson. He was talking about this a little bit. He said, when you walk into the room, do you suck the energy out of the room, or is the room energized because you're there? Which is it? When you walk into a room, does the energy of the room change? Do people say, or two people say, when you walk into a room, because of the work that God is doing in you, because you have the power of the Holy Spirit, because you have life and light inside of you, the temperature of the room should change. And it's not about you being extraordinary, it's about you letting God be great through your life. It really is his desire that you are great through humility. Here's the third writing tip. The third writing tip is this. Write a story. Write your next chapter that focuses on the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. Now, I don't know if you've picked up yet on it, but I am recapping all the sermons from the last three months. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm putting them all into one. Because this is the point. It's, it's about doing something with what we have. Last week, I talked about knowing God as opposed to loving God. We don't read the Bible so that we know about God. We read the Bible so we know Him and love Him. I am wearing a watch today. Did anybody pick up on that? I knew Krista picked. Anybody else pick it up? I don't ever wear anything, right? I'm wearing a watch today. There's, there's some practical reasons for that. I'll tell you about that later. But the reason I'm wearing a watch is because um, I, I wanted to start getting it used to, me, to being on my hand. But it is purely arm candy at this point. Do you know that this watch doesn't work? It doesn't. If you look at it, the, the, the what do they call them, the hands, have been in that same position since I put it on. Why? Because the battery's dead. I got it from a friend of mine. He had a bunch of them, and I told him I was looking. He said, here, take this one. I said, okay, great. So I got, I, I got to go to Walmart and get a new battery. But here's the thing. You would never know that it's not working unless you needed it and said, hey, what time is it? And I go, oh, I don't know. Quarter past 14? I mean, I, it would be pointless. For you to know the Scripture and not to live it is like wearing a watch that doesn't have any power to it. All it is is arm candy. God is writing your story, but he's given you the pen so that you write the story, that he writes the story through you. You write a story that is a great story, and you write that great story through a posture of true humility as a servant and you write a story that is focused on the kingdom of God, not on your own kingdom or the kingdom of this world. So this is where we're going. It is this intentional shift of thinking. It's this intentional living. It's the intentional action of you being who God has breathed life in you to be. Now look, you all have a choice. You can choose to be average. You can choose to leave your pen on the table. You can choose 
to just know about God but not know God. But wouldn't that be such a waste? Wouldn't that be such a shame? Wouldn't you just, just hate to stand before the Father? And God said, so uh, what did you do with the life I gave you? Well, you know, I played it pretty safe. Well, that's a shame. You know what I want to do? I want to be stealing home plate when I go. I want to be sliding in just under the tag, barely, barely with anything left, knowing that I left all of it on the field. Don't you? I know you do, Donnie. We talk about this all the time. You, don't you just want to do everything that God has called you to do? And yet, here's the problem. Here's tip number four. The problem is we have these aspirations of a great story, but we look at our own life and we go, yeah, but I'm just normal. I'm not a great person. I'm not a, a superstar. I'm a regular person. I don't have any spectacular gifts. I don't even have a stage. Well, do you remember the story in the Bible when Jesus gathers his disciples together because he's got 5,000 people plus women and children, so 10 to 12, 15,000 out here in the crowd. His disciples gather together and they're like, Jesus, they're getting a little restless because they're hungry. So, so why don't you send them away because the sun's going down and besides, we got to go find ourselves at McDonald's anyways. We're getting hungry ourselves. I think they were really thinking about themselves more than they were about the rest, of, just to be honest. He said, well, why don't you send them away and, and, and let them find something to eat? And Jesus looked at them and he goes, Hmm, you're right. It is dinner time. You give them something to eat. They looked at each other. They're like, now he knows that we left our nets to follow him. He knows that we left our tax office to follow him. He, he knows that we left our families. And he knows that we have nothing because he told us, don't bring anything for the journey. Don't bring an extra tunic. Don't bring any money. He knows we have nothing. And yet he's telling us to do the impossible Jesus says, well, what do you have? Because they've expressed this. They said, Jesus, don't you know it would take a year's worth of wages and it would barely feed everybody? Well, what do you have? They said, well, we've got nothing because we're following you, but we'll, we'll go find out. So they walked through the crowd. And I think that there was more than five loaves and two fish in the crowd. I really think that there was a bunch of food in the crowd. It's just that nobody wanted to give it up. I mean, think about it. Think about it. The disciples going, hey, can I bum a sandwich from you? They're like, I brought one sandwich for me, right? I mean, out of that many people, there were women in the crowd, there was food, I promise, right? Bunch of men, no food at all. If there were moms and, and there, were, there would have been food. If they're anything like my wife, she never goes anywhere without a snack for me because she knows I'll forget it, right? So, so they're walking through the crowd and nobody's giving anything up. And this little boy is like, yeah, I got a lunch. I got five loaves and I got two fishes. Now, just so you know, the true hero of this story is his mother. He didn't pack his own lunch. His mama packed his lunch. You can mark that down. She's like, oh, little Billy, don't go to the, don't go to the Jesus thing without your lunch. Here you go, right? But, but notice, notice he was willing to give it. These strange men, I don't know if they scared him or I don't know what was going on, but they're like, hey, you got any food? Well, my mama packed me a lunch. Well, I guess that'll do. Now, to be honest with you, if I was the disciple who got that lunch, I probably would have taken a little bite on the way up. I mean, just to test the quality, right? No, I've been hungry, right? So he came up to Jesus and he goes, well, we've all checked and there's, 
there's this. I got one bag of lunch. And I think that as they were doing that, they were looking around and looking at each other, kind of giving each other the eye going, this is, hmm. I mean, you know, you had Thomas there, doubting Thomas. He definitely said something. Yeah, what is everybody going to do? Get one lick apiece? Here, take a lick and pass it down like a lollipop, right? Was everybody going to get a crumb? And so Jesus said, this is enough. Listen, I have noticed in ministry that there's never enough. There's so much I would love for us to do as a church. There's so many lost people. There's so many hurting people. There's so many ministries we could do, but we don't have enough. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough workers. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. There's never enough. But listen, when there's never enough and the not enough is given to Jesus, he takes your not enough and he makes it just enough to be plenty. God loves Scarcity, when we give him all we can, because he takes scarcity and he multiplies it. He's done it over and over and over in my life and I know in your life. You may not have recognized it, but he is always enough when we give him not enough. I gave all I had. You notice that it was a little child who gave it, by the way. The adults, wouldn't, they wouldn't budge. But the little boy's like, okay, I'll trust you. That's why Jesus said, if you want to come after me, if you want to come into the kingdom, you've got to be like a little child. Right? Childlike faith. And so the, the fourth uh, um, tip on writing is this. Remember that you're human. And you're writing a story as a broken person. Remember Samson? Samson, man, he messed it up totally. And yet God still did marvelous things through him. So we write this story with the desire to be great. And we write this story of greatness through genuine humility. And because we are thinking of humility and because we're thinking of the object of the story... We're writing this story for the kingdom of God, not for my own kingdom, not for the kingdom of man. And we're writing this story as a broken vessel, as one who, who's, 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 who's weak and who's, who needs help and who doesn't always know the way. And there's, there's, there's a lack of confidence and there's a lack of having everything we need. But God says, look, if you'll trust me, I will Honor myself through you because God does his best work through broken vessels. And the fifth tip is this. Write this story as if it were your last chapter. Just this week, I've read or known about a multitude of people dying. A 60-year-old dying of a heart attack somewhere in the early hours in the morning. A 50-ish year old being hit by a car who ran a red light just down the highway. A teenager dying 
at the beach trying to rescue someone who was caught in a rip, to, a rip, rip current. And the stories go on and on and on. The truth is, you and I don't have guarantee of our next breath. Sometimes we just, we want to put off the story writing until we get to a better place in life. No, where you are right now is where God is at work, if you'll let him be. No, no, that's not true. He's, it, he's at work whether you'll let him be or not, but whether or not you will see him at work and whether or not his, his work inside of you will bring fruit is up to you. You've got to allow him to be Lord inside of this situation, whatever you find yourself in. So write this next part of the story as if it were your last. Now, I should have I brought you back to the text to show you these, these points. And so let me, let me go back and recap. He called the disciples over to them. He said, you know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, Lord, over them. Those who are in high positions act as tyrants over them. He's saying there's a kingdom of this world. There's a wrong way to write the story. And then he says, but to, uh, if anyone wants to be great, right, there's a greatness there, he must be a servant of all, right? There's the humility part. And then he says that he himself didn't come to serve, but to, uh, to be served, but to serve. So you've got it all right there. This part about it being your last, last chapter, well, we just know that's true based on the reality of life, Right? So how do you write this story? How do you get to the place where you can actually write something that is as grand as what we're talking about? Turn in Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Now last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 3 and we, we went 14 through 19. I didn't read verse 20 and 21 because that was for today. This is the how, okay? Here's the how. This is how you're going to be able to write a story. With not enough, but just enough. This is how you're going to pursue greatness for his sake. This is how you're going to remain humble and become a person who's steeped in humility. And this is how the kingdom of God is going to be uh, uh, expressed in your life. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him, listen, listen. Now to him who is able to do Above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Listen to this. This passage, this verse is the doxology. This is the end of a prayer that Paul is, is praying for the Ephesian church. And it, it is one that, that crescendos to this blaring, loud uh, uh, doxology. And it's meant to be understood in a way that is building. So each part of this can be taken on itself, right? So here's the way that we should read this. Now to him who is able. Full stop. To who? To Jesus, who's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who was in the beginning and, 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 and who spoke all things into existence by his own word. Who knows you and who knows me and who, who designed us since we were in our mother's womb, who, 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 who is, has nothing hidden from him, whose long arm extends farther than we could possibly run. 
Now to him who is able to do. Him who is able to do. So he's not just a God who can, he's a God who does. He's not a God, just a God who knows. He's a God who knows and who acts. But, wait, there's more. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond. Now I like the way the King James Version says this. It says this. Now to him who, I should do the old King's English, right? Now to him who is able to do abundantly, exceedingly. Or it's exceedingly abundantly. We don't use those words together because it means like super duper 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 duper, right? It's, it's like this and more and more and more. God is able and does exceedingly abundantly more. More than what? More than we ask and even think. You can't ask for something too big that God can't do exceedingly abundantly more. You can't even think of something so grand or so great that God cannot do immeasurably more, exceedingly more, abundantly more. Which begs the question, what are you asking for? And what are you thinking? Lord, I just pray that today you help me have a good day. Lord, I pray that today you'll help me pass my test. Lord, please let me catch a fish today. I pray that one a lot, by the way. Because <laughs> I'm thinking exceedingly abundantly, there's a big snapper somewhere down there, right? Think about it. What are you asking God for? What are you thinking of? What are you dreaming for the kingdom of God? If he is able and wants to and actually does exceedingly abundantly more than all we ask, think or imagine then why are we asking and why aren't we thinking because most of us are just accidental most of us's pen is on the table we haven't taken it in our hand clicked the clicker and said this chapter is going to be the best one Now, don't forget why we're doing this. We're not doing this for us. We're not doing this for me. We're not doing this for you. Here's the way he ends this prayer uh, uh, in Ephesians. To him be glory. That's our job. To bring God glory. To him be glory. All glory and all honor and all praise and all power. But here's where the glory comes from. In the church. So we as God's people are to bring all glory to God in the church. That means that your story is not your story alone. Your story is part of my story and my story is part of your story. Because we're in this thing together. I tell you what, I am, I am so encouraged when I think about how marvelous God is at work inside of us. 
Church, you don't even, you don't even comprehend sometimes because you don't do it every day. You don't see it. But our reach is so far beyond what this little church should be reaching. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that God is at work and our story is a great story. Our story goes, extends beyond the oceans. Our story extends into the drug houses. And our story extends, uh, extends onto the streets and into the homeless and into the broken and the hurting and into the prisons. We're doing everything that we can do to reach the people that God so dearly loves. Because of that, we will always have enough even though we'll never have enough. Because of that, we will always see His faithfulness although we will sometimes tempt, be tempted to not be faithful. Because of that, he will declare his glory in us and also in Christ's generations. And here's, here's the part I love. To all generations. The amazing, oh, by the way, forever and ever, amen. What I love about this, to all generations, that means old and young and people not even born yet will know the glory of God because we have been faithful. There are people who don't even exist yet and yet they will know Jesus because you and I were faithful today in doing what we were called to do. And we won't even know it until we're standing before God. And God, I just, I'm imagining it works like this. We're standing before him and he goes, hey, I, I, I want to show you something. See that guy over there? You recognize him? Nope. Doesn't look familiar. Matter of fact, I don't even know what language he's speaking. Well, that guy right there is here as a worshiper because you were faithful. What? When you thought nobody was listening, when you thought nothing was getting through, I was at work because I am able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you ever thought or imagined. And you've brought me glory because of your faithfulness, because you chose to pick up your pen and write a story that was a great story. Well done. Well done. I just want to tell you, um, God showed this to me last, this past week. Um, I was in the middle of a meeting, and out of nowhere, out of the blue, I had this, actually it was last, the week before last, out of the blue, I had this crazy idea to post the, the message on my Facebook page. I, I don't do that all the time, but, but I just like, it was a strong impression just to post it. So I, okay. So while this person was talking, I just kind of pulled out my phone and did the rude thing I'm not supposed to do. You know, what? I, I just posted it. An hour and a half later, I'm driving home and I get a text. And the text went something like this. Hey man, I just got to tell you, what you posted was exactly what I needed to hear. I was wrestling with God and it just answered so many questions. It's like God was speaking straight to me. I got to tell you, that's your life. You, you may not have a a platform up here, but you have a platform every, well, you have a platform where you are currently planted. Whether it's at school, at a hospital, at a, at a restaurant, uh, at a, uh, wherever you are. You already have a platform, you already have influence, and God is already using you. So make sure that story 
is how it needs to be. Will you close your eyes and bow your head? In this place this, this morning, if you have not ever trusted Jesus Christ, can I invite you into a relationship with God? The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, and that mediator is Christ Jesus. The Bible says it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of your works. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. This morning, whether you're watching by TV or Facebook or whether you're in the room, I want to invite you just to yield yourself to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're already a believer, but you've not been very intentional. I want to invite you to pick up a pen and start writing. Whatever it is God is calling you to do, I'm asking you to be obedient in that. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. God, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for your church. Thank you for the skills in this place and the gifts in this place that you desire to use for your glory. Thank you, Father. We trust you in Jesus' name.